This is the eLearning Alchemist podcast. Welcome to the eLearning Alchemist podcast. I am your host, Clint Clarkson, and today we have a panel with three of the most talented articulate storyline developers, and we're really excited to talk about articulate storyline. First off, we have Ashley Chason, whose name you will recognize if you're active in the L&D LinkedIn community because she's everywhere. Ashley is an award-winning e-learning developer, a senior e-learning developer at Treliant, and she's the author of two books on Articulate Storyline. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thanks for having me, Clint. Next up, we have Kevin Thorne, perhaps better known for his alter ego, the Nuggethead from Nuggethead Studios. Kevin is an illustrator and visual designer who has brought those talents to the ed tech space. And frankly, the world is better because of it. He's also a Lego serious play facilitator, which makes me incredibly jealous of him. Thanks so much for being here, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks, Clint. Glad to be here. And finally, we have Kristen Hayden Safty, who is a learning experience design consultant at Motif. She holds a Master's of Education in Learning Design and Technology from Purdue. So that makes her the smarty pants on our podcast panel today. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Hi, welcome. Thank you. All right. So today we are going to be talking about the best articulate storyline workflow tips features, and hacks. So if you're a storyline developer, even an experienced developer, this program can be incredibly frustrating. That's not because the program is lacking, but because it's possible of doing so much. And sometimes abundance creates complexity. It has some idiosyncrasies, that you can only learn over time by just trying things out and by sharing your experiences with other developers, which is what we're going to do here today. Well, we have some defined content for the podcast. I'm imagining that this runs a bit longer than our normal podcast because there's going to be chime-ins with, oh, and did you know ad-lib style of content? So we'll have that as well. It's going to be a bit longer, but that's great. Before we begin, just a quick note, we are going to do our absolute best to describe these workflows, features, and hacks that we're discussing, but if you're driving to work or if you're standing in a bank lineup somewhere, you're not going to have the visual references that you're going to need to really understand something that's new to you. So when we publish the enhanced transcript for this episode, we'll include as many videos, images, and links as we can to make sure you have access to the resources that will help you be successful. We're learning and development professionals, so we're going to actually behave that way on the podcast. In particular, I'm absolutely certain we'll be posting videos from Ashley's website, ashleychason.com, because she is an absolute rock star in this area and has a ton of great resources that she's created that are completely free to you to learn how to become better at using Articulate Storyline. So with all that said, let's get into it and let's start with workflow, which is all about working smarter. My personal favorite workflow tip is hotkeys. And my favorite hotkey, since I've learned it, is Control-Shift-D. And it amazes me how many Storyline developers don't know what that hotkey does. I didn't know what it did for a really long time. So I'm going to throw it at the panel. What does Control-Shift-D do? <laughs> it's duplicate. So copy and place? 
That's the key part. Yeah, it's duplicate in place. And we experience this all the time because we want to stack objects on top of each other and we want them to be in the exact same position. But when you just use control C, control V, doesn't put it there. Control C, control shift D puts it in exactly the same spot. So that's my absolute favorite one. Let's pass things over to Ashley to kick things off. Ashley, here's the question. If you were mentoring a new e-learning developer on Storyline, what is the top workflow tip or tips that you'd suggest so they don't needlessly waste their time in the development process? So I'm all about creating a more well-oiled machine in terms of streamlining development. So I would say that my number one tip would be using hotkeys. I use the control enter, control shift enter to bring up the format and size and position windows. I can't count the number of times I use those two hotkeys daily, as well as using the formatting tools that are available to us to streamline development. A lot of people don't realize that we can format paint, not just objects, but states. We can format paint animations, and it really speeds things up. One other thing that I like to use that a lot of folks I speak with don't actively use is the quick access toolbar and the hotkeys that you can create from the quick access toolbar. Those are all outstanding. Let's dig into them a little bit. So let's talk about control enter and control shift enter because these two dialog boxes or two windows are brilliant. If you learn to use them, it will speed up your process versus trying to do everything on screen. So talk a little bit about those two windows to start. And then I also want to ask you a little bit more about Format Painter and the hotkeys in the quick access menu. Yeah, so control enter will bring up your format shape. And from there, you can format your your fill, line color, line style, shadow, you can do image formatting and text box formatting. And I like to look at this for text box formatting most often. I work in a lot of translations. And from there, I'm usually utilizing the shrink on auto fit or I'm, I'm trying to get my languages to not spill over as much. Perfect. Format Painter. For anyone who doesn't know what that is, describe Format Painter and just the incredible world of things that Format Painter can actually do. It's not just, can we change a fill color? Can we change an outline color? What is it and what does it do? So the Format Painter will basically copy over any formatting that you've placed on a certain object. I like to use it with buttons. I like to subscribe to the one and done philosophy where I build out one custom object, for instance, the button, fill in all of the states, and then create subsequent buttons or objects and format paint the states onto them. I find that to be a very easy way of using the format painter. The animation painter, you can just grab an animation that's used on something that you know and love the animation of and copy it to another object. You can do single click of the format painter and apply to one item, or you could do a double click and apply to multiple items at a time. Oh, 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 hold on. Explain this double click. So if I go up to the toolbar, double click on the format painter, it's now just going to allow me to click a whole bunch of things on screen? Exactly. Until you click escape or click off of the format painter, you can apply those formats to as many objects as you'd like. 
We're not even past the first topic and I am already a better storyline developer. I did not know that. That's brilliant. I don't know how many times I've had click this up, click the format painter, click the next object, click the format painter, click the next object. Total waste of time, apparently. So thanks, Ashley. That's great. Okay, so quick access toolbar, another one that is amazing because you can set up your own hotkeys. Talk a little bit about that and what you personally have set up in the quick access toolbar. So the quick access toolbar is basically a, a little panel of your most frequently used objects or things that you put up on the quick access toolbar. And it's located in the upper left hand corner. And it's in the area where you would see your save, undo, redo functions. Basically, anything that you would like to add to the quick access toolbar, you just need to right click it, add to quick access toolbar, and then you can summon it with the hotkey, which is control plus the number from left to right that that object is in your quick access toolbar. So for me, I'm using shapes quite often, so I'll throw those up there. But basically, if you're going to be using a lot of a lot of different functions, say you're needing a radio button frequently, just throw that up there and you can very easily grab one when you need it. Excellent. Let's jump over to Kristen and Kevin. Any workflow tips that come to mind for you? I'm actually having trouble right now not grabbing my computer and setting up those quick access, li- access links now <laughs> that I know what they are. I'm not a good hockey person. I just have never gotten into hockey. I just don't use them as often as I should in any software I use. So my main tips are actually learn Illustrator and XD2 and maybe Audacity or Audition. I do a lot of things outside of Storyline and then bring them in. And Illustrator is probably the fastest workflow tool I have for Storyline because I just like the ease of creating things in there. The Audacity or Audition tip is because I always find, especially when I'm syncing audio with slides, the most lost time is in hitting the space bar and then waiting for the preview to start or going out of the slide to go to the preview there. So all I do now is I open up the audio file in either an external audio editor or even Storylines audio editor, and I write down the times I need, the times that I care about, and then I just sync the objects to those times instead of trying to get it right, testing it, moving it, trying to get it right, testing it and moving it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that one. And I don't know how long it was before I actually figured that one out that you can go into the audio, figure out the timestamps that you want to use, and then just align to the timestamps rather than trying to listen, line it up, maybe it's off by a little bit. So then you change it and you line it up again. What a nightmare that is. So yeah, Yeah. fantastic tip. Kevin, any workflow tips from you? I teach uh, new users all the time. And one of the things that I want to preface on the front end is that as you learn a new piece of software, you're going to get very frustrated. And I often hear things like it, referring to Storyline, it's not working or it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And I caution new users to say, just be patient with yourself. Learning a new skill takes time and practice and that Storyline does exactly what you tell it to do. So if it's not working, you're going to find, you're going to have to troubleshoot a lot of your own work. So you can learn all the widgets and the features and the tips and the hacks, 
But in the end, you're going to be troubleshooting a lot of things that don't work right. They get buggy. You get ahead of yourself. You miss a trigger. You miss a line, some kind of function. So my big tip for new users is slow down and read your timeline because all of the objects live on the timeline. And as we're speaking of objects, it's one of those language of storyline things. Everything is an object, almost everything. There's a few things that are not objects, but a slide is an object, a layer is an object, and everything on a slide is an object. So if you just think in that hierarchy, in that terms of language, if something's not working, triggers make things work or function, and triggers are tied to objects. So if something's not working, go look into your timeline, figure out where things are at, and then just read your timeline on where things are happening at specific times. And more often than not, you'll be able to fix your mistakes a lot faster just by taking your time, being patient, and learning how to read the interface when it comes to troubleshooting your own work. Of any piece of software, that's important. But mm-hmm. Storyline in particular, because we are trying to get a slide to behave a specific way. But the slide is going to behave the way that we tell it to behave. And one missing piece somewhere, one missing trigger, one missing object, one object that's been hidden in your timeline can become a real pain in the butt. And we have to slow down and look for that. I'll layer onto that as well. And this is something I'm still bad at is if something is really driving you nuts and you've been looking at it for 15, 20 minutes and you can't figure it out, go online and ask. Use e-learning heroes, use Reddit, use people that you know. Just make sure that you're willing to ask because I've lost hours. Like there's been times when I've lost four or five hours and then found rebuilding slides, trying new techniques, working things around, and then finding out it was just a setting that I needed to change. So (laughs) don't lose your mind trying to troubleshoot it yourself. If you really hit that, I mean, try first. If you really hit that roadblock, seek help. Storyline has just such a great community. And then in the e-learning heroes, but then also in in people like Ashley and Kevin and Kristen, who when you reach out can offer help. I have one or two things to actually add to that. I would say a huge chunk of the issues I face, an embarrassingly large chunk, is that I have a trigger that moves to the next slide before the other triggers fire. Just, it's constant. It's a constant (laughs) battle. And one of the ways that I always diagnose that is this old, it's a coding trick called rubber ducking, where you explain what's happening step-by-step in your code or on your storyline timeline to a rubber ducker, some inanimate object on your desk. You just sit there and you describe what's happening. If this happens, then it's going to change the state. And that usually helps you Figure out oh, what, that's what yeah, doing. that's perfect. Um, I, I've never heard it referred to rubber ducking. We've, I referred to it in my old IT days, pseudocode, and that where developers, as they were prototyping new software on a whiteboard, they would write write out in in plain English how things, you know, the functions and steps were going to go, and then that's how they would learn where to code and how to code. So exactly, I do the same thing. I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to steal the rubber ducky thing though, because I like that better than pseudocode. Uh, but yeah, just talk it out. If I'm going to click this thing, this object, what's going to happen? And then this layer is going to show. And then after that, this other thing is going to happen. And then this thing. So you talk it out loud and then you work through the step. And that's the other thing about programming and Storyline is a software program. Under the hood, all of that communication. But the other thing I teach a lot of new users is just remember only one thing happens at a time. Generally speaking, I mean, you get into more complex, advanced stuff, but you have to click on the object 
And then the object's going to turn to a visited state, and then it's going to jump to the next slide. So it goes in that sequence, sequential sort of flow. And you get your brain trained to think and talk and talk like a rubber duck, then you'll be fine. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people don't realize that the triggers fire in sequence. So yes, that can <laughs> that can make you feel a lot more sane once you once you realize that. And then you're like, oh yeah, well, I've got these up and down arrows. So maybe if I fiddle with these and change the sequencing, the thing that I can't figure out will all of a sudden fix itself. So there's a rule that I that I share with my students or participants in that especially when it comes to adjusting a variable or trigger that adjusts a variable or any kind of any type of adjustment trigger if you are adjusting an object or a trigger or a variable and you are navigating away from that location with the same action meaning clicking a button always 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 ensure that that the navigation trigger is at the bottom of that trigger stack that doesn't mean if you're jumping to a next slide or showing a layer or hiding a layer. So always adjust your variable at the top, change your states at the top, and then navigate as your last trigger. If you follow that rule, you'll have very few troubleshooting problems. So before we jump onto features, any tips related to the timeline that you would like to share? I think it's worth the effort to properly label your items. Um, and this took me a long time to understand, but it really is worth it. It saves you oh so God. much to go back and troubleshoot that. with things that make sense and are real words instead of rectangle 50. Absolutely. Yeah, and that- yeah, for our listeners who are familiar with Illustrator or Photoshop or any of those other programs, naming your objects or naming your elements are a critical piece because you'll get... 50, 60, 70 objects on a single slide and rectangle one through 15 becomes very confusing when you start building those into interactive elements. So nobody's going to see your names. It takes a little bit of extra effort, but you can name them Uncle Bob if you want to, as long as you know what that object is. Definitely get into the habit and practice of naming your objects. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually got a default set of indicators that tell me what things are and also to keep things grouped once I actually go and look at them. So every button starts BTN dot and then what the button is. Uh, That's funny, Clint. Yeah, it's my same same naming convention on my hand. Perfect. And I've got three letter codes for everything. BTN is a button, TXT is a text box, so on and so forth. We're doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and it it works fantastically. Mm -hmm. So here's all of us who probably came up with this on our own without sharing with others, because it really does make the the workflow inside Storyline when you're when you're working with 50 or 60 objects on a slide, even if you're working with 10 objects on a slide. I think probably more importantly is when you have a team of people that might be working on the same course, it makes it really easy for them to jump into a slide that they've never seen before and locate the objects that they need to be working with. All right, let's shift over to features. And when I say features, we're talking about using the tools in Storyline generally in the way that they were intended to be used. So we're not Frankensteining them or hacking them together in some sort of way. Kevin, you've used Storyline for a long time. Heck, your picture is even on the website. Uh, So you know this tool incredibly well. What features do you feel are underutilized and or misutilized that you'd recommend Storyline developers spend more time with and learn to use more effectively? 
let's define features for a minute. So just so that it, for my own <laughs> clarification, features are built in. These are things that are that come out of the box with Storyline. And uh, one of the features that I feel are underutilized or probably most often misutilized are the master slides. And if you're familiar with PowerPoint, it runs the same way. But what's very interesting, I think a lot of folks don't know, you can leverage layers on a master slide. And then if you look, if you take a slide, if you will, if you kind of visualize with me and you just take it and lay it over on its side. So you're looking at it sort of at a plane level. Even if it's blank, the master slide is loading first. And then the slide's going to load on top of that. And then if you have any layers on a slide, of course, the layers come over top of the slide. What a lot of folks don't know is that if you use a layer on a master slide, it's the topmost plane and it sandwiches. So you can have a slide and a layer and then a master layer on top of a slide's layer. So you can sandwich, you have four pieces of real estate or four planes of real estate for every slide. You can put a lot of functionality on the master slide, variables, layer functionality, and all sorts of other objects to basically speed up your workflow and minimize having to duplicate and repeat the same functions on slide after slide after slide. But if if you really take time to study the, the mechanics of how the masters work, you can leverage those in ways you probably can't imagine. Yeah, that's a great add-on, Kevin, and a fantastic topic. Kristen, Ashley, do you want to add anything to that exact topic on Master Slides? Right now, I'm actually developing a uh, a practice file for a session I'm doing, and it utilizes layers on a Slide Master as kind of a control panel and mm-hmm. um, that type of functionality. One thing that I will say as a as a caution when working with slide masters in that way is when you get into really sophisticated kind of custom players and such, if you're copying a slide in or importing a slide into a project that has an existing master built, it's just kind of ensuring that you're setting the layouts back to that default master. You're only having one master so that none of the triggers are kind of competing with one another or throwing a wrench into things. I, I often see a lot of people, they realize that with the math, the slide master, but not the feedback master. And so I've, I've definitely had projects where I've had to dig in and say, where the heck is that extra one slide feedback master so I can delete that. <laughs> no, that's a good, problem. that's a good point. And that's the quirkiness about the masters. So if you use the content library, for instance, and you go out to the content library and you pull in a slide layout or a slide template, what it's going to do is it's, it's going to make a new master slide deck based on that slide. Even if you pulled in one slide, it's going to pull in the whole master from that deck in addition to the default one, it's already there. And then if you go back to the content, library and you add and you pull another slide from that same theme, you're going to get an additional master slide and all of those layouts. So you'll have three decks now in the master. So it's it's a little quirkiness in terms of workflow, but it's it's it goes back to being underutilized, getting in there and understanding how those behave. Then you can get on the front end of it and have a strategy of going in and how you're going to use them and manage it the best way you can. The management is it the 
exactly the word that was running through my head there, Kevin, because yeah, it's kind of this quirky thing that happens as you start pulling in slides and you may, maybe you have a course and they're all effectively using the same template. So you're, you're grabbing a slide from one course and grabbing a slide from another course. And all of a sudden you have this ridiculous number of masters, but, but it's really just knowing that that's happening and then going through the exercise of going to those slides, setting them to the master that you want the entire course to be on and then getting rid of those other ones. And, exactly. and that, and that management can, oh, it can save you so much time digging through and just trying to find that one little thing that's happening somewhere that you don't want it to be. Kristen and Ashley, any other feature tips or recommendations that you have for storyline developers? One thing that I use a lot is states. I use them a lot to just change the text based on whatever variable. So say you have a result slide and you want different text based on how someone performed. I always do that with states. But I also try to build things that I can pass off to clients because I don't always want to do all of the maintenance forever. I'd rather pass that off to them so they can do it internally. So I always, when I use states, add a slide note, um, as long as I'm not obviously using that for a transcript, explaining where that text is so that they know. Because states are very easy once they're implemented and very hard to troubleshoot because it's hard to know what has a state if you're just looking at a slide. And if you're looking at a slide in the field, in in the wild, and you're seeing text and you can't find it on the slide in Storyline, that's because it's a state. And now you have to go digging. Truly. And and there's some tricky things that you can do with states where an object might have a state, but then you can paste another object into that state and have it do something carry, carrying in an animation or something of, of that nature. And when you start getting into those types of things, it gets complicated. And really being familiar with what's happening inside states is important, but then also to your point, leaving that information somewhere so that other people understand what you've done and why you've done it. Because if they're not familiar with the technique that you've used, making changes can be almost virtually impossible. They they may actually have to start over to recreate what you've created. So that's an excellent one. Anything from you, Ashley? Just piggybacking on Kristen's state talk, a lot of folks don't realize that they can adjust the initial state. So if you have, say, a continue button that you want to be disabled when the timeline starts, instead of having a trigger to like change the state to disabled on timeline start, you could just start the button as disabled and then have one trigger for okay, well, have it change state to normal or what have you. So I think leveraging just the built-in functionality and using using things like the initial state functionality. Now let's jump on and talk about hacks. I remember when I first learned that you could create a shape, set the transparency to zero, and then use that shape to prevent the learner from clicking on screen objects. And if you go into the forums, people ask this all the time. How do I get learners to not click? Does it have to be this difficult? No, it doesn't. You literally just take a shape, set it to transparent, and then you can drop that over top of something. And you now have control of an object in your timeline. And whenever it, it ends, whenever that shape disappears from the screen, everything that was beneath it now becomes clickable. But up till that point, it's not. 
if there's a state, uh, you're up to a point in your timeline where you're happy with everything that's happening, but you're continuing to build more on top of it is you can add that box over top of everything and lock it. And then you'll never be able to click anything underneath, bump it out by one pixel or accidentally trip over something. You do have to remember that it's there for later on, but it but it's a way for you to protect everything that's on your slide while still being able to see everything that's on the slide. Anyways, I, I will pass it over yep. to you now, Kristen, to talk about hotspots. So hotspots, I use them all the time. Hotspots and state changes are my storyline bread and butter, I'd say. But the fact that you can only have one hotspot, one correct hotspot, is sometimes a big blocker for me, especially when I do software training. And something that comes up there a lot is you have maybe 10 rows of records and you want someone to be able to click on any row that has a certain characteristic. But those rows aren't all in a row. They aren't all in a line. There are two on the top, one on the bottom. So in that case, what I do is I put a correct hotspot over all of the rows, over absolutely everything that can be clickable, including the space between them. And then I put another either transparent box or incorrect hotspot on top of that correct hotspot to block the things that I don't want clicked. So if row one and two and 10 are correct, I put a green hotspot over rows one through 10, and then a red hotspot on top of that on the timeline, on top of is, as we said, very important, over rows three to nine. And that way you can click the hotspots that you wanna click. It works on the quiz correctly, but it's blocking out the incorrect things. Ashley, Kevin, anything you want to build on onto that tip? No, I think I mean I think it's probably one of the the, the un, it goes back to underutilized little hacks that it's so simple yet so effective in so many different ways. Like Kristen, like you were talking about, I use them predominantly for video because videos in in Storyline by default videos automatically play, and even though they're automatically playing. The, the video then becomes a play pause button itself. So if you click on a video, it pauses. And now because the video is on its own timeline and the video is an object, which is on the slides timeline, those two timelines get out of sync where you could be running to the end of the timeline on the slide, but the video is still playing because you paused it at some point you clicked on it. So by putting a transparent shape over the video, that prevents, whether you're showing the timeline or not, but that prevents them from clicking the actual video and pausing it, in it um, inadvertently and then, and then getting your two timelines on a sync. Absolutely. I, I do this on a daily basis as well to prevent the, uh, the clicking. I think with the, the um, transparent object hack, some sometimes folks don't realize that if they're trying to prevent people from clicking, they think that, okay, I'm going to create a shape over those clickable pieces, and then I'm going to set it to no fill and no outline. But I think that right. there's a, a big distinction to be made. You do want to fill, you just want it to yes. be fully transparent, or else you will still be able to click the items below it. So that's one thing that I'd like to mention before everybody goes out and starts doing no fill. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's not it's not no fill. It's transparent fill. The fill yeah, yeah, absolutely needs to be there. Kristen, you had another hack that we had talked about around slide numbering. So the way I use slide numbers is it's a variable. Ashley actually has some good screencasts and articles and everything on it. I use them if I want to 
number slides in a place where the numbers may change. So I might be, again, building something for a client. I want them to be adding something later. And I don't want them to have to mess with the slides. You just do the current slide number over the number of slides in that usually scene is how I typically do it. So the the number that that slide is in the scene and then the number of slides in that scene total. The thing with that is you might have a title slide that now has to go in a different scene. Otherwise, you're going to have both of those numbers be slightly off. But that is a variable now in the built-in variables panel. All right. And Ashley, Kevin, would you like to add on any additional storyline hacks that you love before we wrap this up? So I think piggybacking on the uh, slide numbers, because the biggest hack that I can think of is not really a hack at all. It's just to use built-in anything. The reason I'm piggybacking on the slide numbers is because, as Kristen mentioned, there are built-in variables now with this slide numbering functionality, and you can use those very quickly to create a visual progress meter versus having to go through the onerous task of of creating all the variables and and programming one from scratch, uh, which is what we used to do before the slide numbers. The same with being able to toggle closed captions on or off. There's a built-in variable for that. So you can very easily make that toggle without going into as much labor as you once used to have to do. So basically just my hacks are all just about streamlining development because I want to get in there, get it done and get it done quickly. (laughs) And that's what we all want to do, right? We don't want to spend, well, like this piece that you have already told us about earlier today and that I'm amazed by is that we can double click the format painter. I have never gone, I, I used the format painter in PowerPoint the way that it used to used to work years ago when it first came out and never thought that I needed to go and investigate the format painter more deeply. And it, really, to me, that's the big takeaway from this, this conversation is sometimes it's worth going in and, and checking out these features and getting into some of the tutorials, even on things that you already know, because you're going to find little things that have changed over time that didn't used to be there. Investigate everything there is to know about Storyline, and then that's where you learn, and that's when you you get in those situations. Oh, yeah, I remember this format painter, and I double-click. This will save me time, because it's all about what Ashley is saying about being efficient and saving our time, because it takes time to put these things together. And if I can save 30 seconds with this sort of workflow, and I can save a minute with this workflow, over time, I might save a half hour, an hour's time on an old project. But I like combining concepts together and kind of bending storyline a little bit farther than it was intended to do. So for instance, a drag and drop interaction, we all love them dear to our hearts. And then we have the fill in the blank, which are may not be as dear to our hearts because of obvious sort of reasons of managing those particular types of interactions. But if we combine those two concepts together where you have named labels and then the labels become the drag and drop, and then you just have text boxes with blank lines, then you can you can add more sort of fill in the blank kind of, but then you're controlling the words. So it's more of like a word bank and then you control the words into a drag and drop. So it's just thinking through how do you take the concept of a hotspot or how do you take the concept of a drag and drop interaction or a concept of X, Y, Z, and then how can I mash them together? And the button set is something that is it's it's not on the feature toolbar anywhere 
there. It's not any other button. It's hidden in the right-click menu, and it's the only place you can find it. You don't have to have a quiz question in order to use the button set because fundamentally, it's simply using an object's selected state. So you can have two characters, you can have two rectangles, you can have two images. And as long as you add a selected state to each of those objects and then put both of those into a button set, a custom set, then you click on one, the other one's going to automatically go back to normal when the other ones click that way. It, and when you talk about efficiency, that saves, you don't have to use triggers. I don't need triggers to say, when you click this one, turn this one back to normal. And when you click this one, turn this one back to normal. So you eliminate the triggers and just leverage the button set. That's one of my favorite ways of building out tabbed interactions is to utilize yep. the button set functionality. It just yep. makes it so clean. That's the big thing with Storyline. Once you've mastered the individual features is just finding new and unique ways to use them. Let's wrap this up. And before we go, let's learn a little bit more about our panelists. We'll start with Kristen. How can people reach you? Where can they find you on social media and any shameless plugs for resources, blog, books, or anything else that you're proud of and want to mention now? Thank you. So you can most often find me on Twitter and at Kristen Learning. And then I'm also on LinkedIn at Kristen Hayden Safty, but I forget that that exists for most of my life. So I don't use it that often. You can always find me. I'll always connect with you. And I use Messenger, but don't look for interesting updates from me. And then I do sometimes blog for my company at Medium. You can find those on Twitter as well. And I do a monthly TLD cast where I talk about case studies, of just specific projects. So I try to go really in depth into the problems you face during a project, how a project was shaped. It's really fun. Kevin's been on it. Go look for his episode. Hopefully, Ashley and Clint will also be on it. Hey, we'll but, link, we'll link that in the enhanced transcript. We'll find the one with Kevin and we'll drop it right into the uh, to the blog post. Perfect. Thank you so much, Clint. Thank you. And next up, Kevin. Same with Kristen. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter at Learn Nuggets. Pretty much all over the place. Other than that, you can find me. Um, I got a Facebook Nuggethead Studios. If you go to Facebook, and I use those platforms differently. So Facebook is. Primarily just the day-to-day, what's happening in the studio at the day, what I'm doing, what I'm finding. Uh, And then shameless plug, if you're new to Storyline and you need some training, I just launched a new schedule for 2020. If you go to Training Magazine's live online training, our first Fundamentals of Storyline is in March. And then I do a back-to-back one called Next Level Design, where we go into all those hacks, a lot of what we just talked about here. And some other, you know, hackery, trickery things and how to pushing you out of your comfort zone, that that workshop. Right on. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. And we will, with that as well, put a link in the enhanced transcript. So anyone interested in getting, leveling up, leveling up their articulate storyline skill set, you will not regret that ever. Even, even if it's one little tip, like things that we've discussed on the podcast today, sometimes that's enough to save you hours over a year. So thanks very much for that, Kevin. And Ashley. Well, thanks for having me, Clint. My shameless plugs will be that you can always find me on Twitter at AMD Chasson. I'm on LinkedIn as well, AshleyChasson.com. I'm usually posting screencasts for storyline tutorials with a lot of tips like the ones that we shared here and SproutElearning.com where I've got some courses. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, Ashley. And thanks very much to all three of our panelists. It's not easy to have this type of discussion where we're talking about something that's particularly technical and trying to do it in an audio format. So as we've mentioned several times, we're going to look for some online resources. We'll include those in the enhanced transcript so that you can find those there. But definitely go investigating, figure out storyline more deeply, learn what those features that are built in, learn what they do, learn that they double click sometimes. Stuff like that will make your life all the better. 